Good morning. Everybody glad to be here today? Hey, that's pretty good on a dreary Labor Day weekend. Praise God. We spend five hours a day watching television. Now, I want you to wrap your mind around that for a second. That's the average, so some of you guys make it up on the weekends when you watch uh, 17 hours of college football. But we spend five hours a day, on the average, watching television. Now, that's Netflix and movies. and So the average person, by the time they're 70 years old, wrap your mind around this for a second, spends 14 years of their life on the couch watching TV. That's disgusting, isn't it? 14 years of our lives is watched in front of a monitor. That doesn't even include all the hours you spend playing Fortnite. That hurt one. Didn't that one hurt somebody? So begin to wrap. That doesn't include all the time you spend on your mobile device floating through social media. Just TV alone, five hours a day spent on the couch... Spending 14 years of your life by the time you're 70, wasting away time that God has given us. We only get one chance on this side of heaven to live out this life. And we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks that we are called to do hard things. And these hard things will force us to do things that we're not comfortable with. And one of which is to leave the comforts of whatever space you like to go to. And to walk out and serve God and to show up somehow. To show up and say, I'm here, God. I want to be used by you, God. I sign up. I'm going to, do, I'm going to go to my business place this week. And I'm going to show up and do my work. But I'm going to represent you. I'm here on a mission. I'm here for a purpose. I won't retreat to the comforts of the couch and the comforts of television. In the early 70s, Marshall University football team lost their entire football team except for two players and a coach that decided before the plane took off that he was going to go and recruit some players for his team. And so the plane went down along with staff and coaches, of which the whole team basically died. And there was one guy that was left behind who was injured, shoulder injury, that still wanted this team to go on. The community and many of the parents and even the administration was saying, no, we can't put a team back. It's just too hard. It's too difficult. Too much work. Too much pain. We don't need a team any longer. But this one individual and the president of the university joined him and said, we're willing to do a hard thing, and we're going to put this team back on the field because this community, this school needs a football team. And so they made some changes. They, they went to the NCAA, and they... they they made a, a provision for them to let freshmen play, and they suited up this team that was far less in ability, athletic ability, talent, skill, and they showed up to play the following year football. A new coach came in, players came in, and they found themselves, the coach decided before the first game of the year, he would take this new team, and he would take them back and let them remember what was their past? And remember those who had gone before them. And remember that there was a team that was there. And six of which, they'll stand at their cemetery, were so blown up in this plane crash and so burned up that they were unrecognizable. And they stand there. And you'll see in this clip I'm about to show you. He takes them there before the first game. And he tells them, do hard things. 
do hard things. And you'll see in this clip, this man will walk in who was the coach that was left behind on a recruiting scene. But this is a group of men and a coach and one player that said, we must get off the couch and do hard things. Watch this. For those of you who may not know, this is the final resting place for six members of the 1970 Thundering Herd. The plane crash that took their lives was so severe, so, so absolute, that their bodies were unable to be identified. So they were buried here, together. Six players. Six teammates, six sons of Marshall. This is our past, gentlemen. This is where we have been. This is how we got here. This is who we are today. I want to talk about our opponent this afternoon. They're bigger, faster, stronger more experienced, and on paper, they're just better. And they know it, too. But I want to tell you something that they don't know. They don't know your heart. I do. I've seen it. You have shown it to me. You have shown this coaching staff, your teammates. You have shown yourselves just exactly who you are in here. When you take that field today, you've got to lay that heart on the line, man. From the soles of your feet, with every ounce of blood you've got in your body, lay it on the line until the final whistle blows. And if you do that, if you do that, we cannot lose. We may be behind on the scoreboard at the end of the game, but if you play like that, we cannot be defeated. And we came here today to remember. Six young men. And 69 others. Who will not be on the field with you today. But they will be watching. But they'll be gritting their teeth with every snap of that football. You understand me? How you play today, from this moment on, is how you will be remembered. This is your opportunity to rise from these ashes and grab glory. We are. We are. 
the day. If you watch that and don't run, want to run through a brick wall, then you're not alive here this morning. Showed that at our kickoff this past Friday night, at our fight club kickoff, and the truth is, the team went on, and they played, and they won a few games, and the coach stayed there with them, and, and it was a very difficult process for them, but they were willing to do hard things, and the reason they were able to overcome is because they showed up, because one man said, I'm going to show up, and even though the rest of the community doesn't want me to do that, I believe we should have a football team here, and this one player pulled a whole campus and a whole group of people and the truth is the way they were remembered is by showing up and getting in the game and signing up many of you today have had people coming after you maybe your whole life show up sign up do what God wants you to do be part of join in and the voice has been coming over and over and over and you even heard Jordan say today, sign up for Flourish, but right away, excuse, no, too difficult, too hard, I can't, I can't. And you have all these gifts and all these talents and all these skills to give to someone else, and it's all about you. Well, I got, I'm doing this, I'm doing it. And the reality is maybe God wants you to show. Many of you have been sitting in these seats for years, week after week, getting fed, getting more and more and more. And you've been called out to the deep end many, 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 many times. Sign up, show up. And you're missing out on what God has in store for you because of excuse or reasons. The reality is, is this, all of us have a mission field. And the question we have to ask ourselves is this, what is your why? Why do you want to live tomorrow? If you had to answer that question, what is the reason that you say, God, give me another day? What would be the answer to that? God, give me another week. Lord, let me live another week. God, let me live another month. God, let me live another year. What would your answer be? Well, so I can spend time with my family? So I can make more money? So I can have a successful business plan? What is your why? What is the reason? That's the thing that should get you up off the couch. That's the thing to send you into the marketplace. That should be the thing that reaches out in the neighborhood. What is your why? And if your why is, if you ask yourself this question. How many of you have prayed for healing for someone? And in praying, so, Lord, oh, God, I pray that you'll heal them. Why? Why do you want them healed? What's the purpose for them to be healed? So that they can be healthy? For what? To sit on the couch to enjoy this life, to have a retirement fund, to make more money. If the purpose isn't to point others to Jesus, then why live? Thank you for that amen. If you don't have that purpose, then why live? Why do you think Jesus went to the cross? He went there for one reason. To save us of our sins and to save the world. And then he says that he is here to seek and to save those that are. And so if somehow your marketplace, if somehow your community, if somehow your nine to five isn't pointing people to Jesus, then why live another day? Why be healthy if it isn't to point people to Jesus? And if your why isn't that, then... Why live another day? There were a group of people who had seen the miraculous. They had tasted it. 
they had touched it, they had witnessed it firsthand, and they were delivered from this place called Egypt and slavery, and they prayed, God, God, oh God, deliver us from Egypt, God, God, help my bank account, God, help this sickness, God, get me out of this bondage that I'm in, Lord, help us, help, and finally, God comes in, he delivers them, he removes them from this bondage, he has them out walking through the wilderness, and he promises them, I have a promise for you. If you'll trust me, if you'll follow me, if you'll sign up, if you'll show up and you keep on this journey, you will see what I have in store. And these people were at a crossroad. And even as we saw that clip, it was the defining moment. How will you be remembered? Grab your Bibles. I'm going to ask you that question today and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. All of us are at that crossroad. How will you be remembered? And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will put one in your hand today. But turn to Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Vitigus, Numbers, Deuteronomy chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 6 through 18. I ask you to stand as we read it out loud together. Deuteronomy 1, verses 6 to 18. And I'll ask you this question again. How will you be remembered? Sitting on the couch or engaged in the game? Read this with me. Deuteronomy 1, 6 through 18. Ready, read. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in Arabah and the mountains and in the western foothills, in the Negev and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I've given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. At that time I said to you, you are too heavy a burden for me to carry alone. The Lord your God has increased your numbers so that you today are as numerous as the stars in the sky. May the Lord, the God of your ancestors, increase you to a thousand times and bless you as he has promised. But how can I bear your problems and your burdens and your disputes all by myself? Come, some, choose some wise understanding and respected men from each of your tribes, and I will set them over you. You answer me. What you propose to do is good. So I took the leading men of your tribes, wise and respected men, and appointed them to have authority over you as commanders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and as tribal officials. And I charge your judges at that time, hear the disputes between your people and judge fairly, whether the case is between two Israelites or between an Israelite and a foreigner residing among you. Do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of anyone, for judgment belongs to God. Bring me any case too hard for you, and I will hear it. And at that time I told you everything you were to do. You may have a seat. They were given an instruction. Men were put in charge of men. They were supposed to get ready to get to the promised land. And so Moses is standing before him. Remember what God did? This is where you're going. This is what God promised you. This is where you should be heading. In other words, you need to get off the couch. And he says to leave the land of Horeb. In fact, he says, you have been here long enough. You have stayed here long enough. And how true that is. There is a season, and for some of it's healing. 
And for some of it's growing. And for some of it's learning. But there's this season of time that we need to move from Horeb and to engage God and to move to the promise that he has in store for us. Take our gifts, our skills, and our abilities and use them for him. It's so easy, though, for us to linger too long on our way to the promised land. Because we kind of like it here, yet God never intended us to stay there that long. Verse 7 and 8, he says, go to this land that he's already given to you. It's the same for you and me. God has already, Bible says, charted out our steps. God already has a plan for us. And what we need to do is walk in obedience. It's already there. It's already been promised. It's already better than what we have now. It's where we find the presence and the peace and the comfort of our Savior. He says, get moving, get off the couch. He reminds this group that not only is the promise there, but I'm going to put a thousand times more over that. So incredible opportunity was awaiting them. So he puts leaders together. He puts them over the tens, the fifties, the hundreds, and the thousands. He's putting squadrons together. And he says, we're ready to march. We're ready to move. We're ready to be remembered as followers of God. They're equipped. They're ready. Now go get that land that I have promised you. Verse 17 and 18, he reminds them of this. He says, and do not show partiality in judging. Here both small and great alike. Do not be what of anyone. What's it say? Afraid of anyone. For judgment belongs to God. In other words, make hard decisions. Do hard things. And he says, if you come across anything too difficult, bring it to me and I will take care of it for you. So just ask yourself this question again. What is your why? What is your purpose in life? Like, why did you come to Grace Community today? Why do you keep coming back to Grace Community? We're grateful that you do. What is the purpose of being equipped? What is the purpose of learning? What is your Monday morning? Why do you go to work? Why are you a CEO or COO? Why are you an employee, a supervisor? Why do you punch in? Why do you earn money? Why do you save money? What is the purpose? What is your why? And if it doesn't connect somehow to pushing people close to Jesus, whether they're children, youth, or adults, then you need to revisit your why. Because our lives are vapor. And James tried to describe it later on. He does. Look at James chapter 4. We're only here for a while. So turn to James chapter 4. And I'll, I'll just read this to you. James chapter 4. He described the same thing of our lives just being here for a short period. So don't waste your life. James 4 and verse 13 says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there I'll carry on business in Goshen and Elkhart and LaGrange and Warsaw and Valparaiso. And I'll make money. And then he says, why don't do not even know what will happen tomorrow? He says, what is your life? You're nothing more than a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is what for them? Okay, that's a hard, hard-hitting verse. 
See, we know what we should do. You know why you're here. You're not here for you. It's not about you. It's not about your husband. It's not about your wife. It's not about your grandkids. It's not about your kids. It's all about Jesus. But we get it all mixed up, don't we? Like, I want to be healthy. Why do I want to be healthy? Why am I glad God gave me extended life? So that I can point people to Jesus. I want to take my skill. I want you to take your gift, your ability. Because if we don't, then why live? What's the purpose of living if you aren't pointing people to Jesus? Why be 90 years old and as healthy as can be and not tell people about Jesus? That is a wasted life. So he's looking at this group. He's saying, this is the promise God has given you. It's going to be hard to get there. Because when you go here, there are nations that will rise up. There are generations of children that will rise up. And they need to know about the God that you serve. And I want to let you know, I'm taking you to a place that's flowing with milk and honey. And not only that, I've already given you the victory. When anyone stands against you, listen, you win, you win, you win, you win. Not in your power, but in my power. There's so much available for our taking that we fall short of because we're afraid. Or, I like it here. My butt feels good on this couch. In fact, it's comfortable. Like, this is my spot, and I got my remote. This is good, man. This is the life. Man, live, I live the life. Look at me. Woo, 14 years here, baby. <laughs> is that how you want to be remembered? Seriously, is that it? I spent five hours last night watching reruns of The Office. Woo! Praise God, huh? Who's got an amen for that? I spent 11 hours watching college football this weekend. Woo! Can I get an amen? The truth is this, is some of us are wasting our time. We're working hard to stay healthy. Pastor Jim, this week I worked out. Last week you told us to do hard things, exercise, and I want to say why. Why are you healthy? Why are you the strongest one in your family? If it isn't to point people to Jesus, then you're missing the purpose of life. You see, the problem is this, is I wonder if we really believe God knows what's best for us. As I think back to that college classroom experience 35 years ago as a freshman at Grace College, I can't help. But wonder, what if I didn't listen to that truth that was being spoken from that professor called Dr. Johnson? What if I was in that moment, just as we can so often be, when a word comes from the Lord or we read in his word, or maybe it's a worship song, or maybe it's a person who keeps coming after you, and they keep asking you, sign up, show up, go with me, be part of this. And first thing we think of, excuse, excuse, I'm already involved, too busy, whatever yours is. What if I didn't listen to that word from that that, that college professor, and I just think about, what if when he said that your heart is a muscle, and if you exercise it, it will beat less, and it will last longer, and then he said this, so that you can serve God longer. 
What if I didn't take that to heart? What if, what if I didn't begin on this exercise regime? What if I hadn't been running for 35 years? What if by the grace of God, he didn't intervene? I'll tell you what, if I wouldn't be here and God wouldn't allow me to serve him. And there is a word for you today. Get off the couch. Get in the game. It's time to get out of the seats and get on the streets, huh? How about over here? Can I get an amen over here? Some of you have been sitting too long. And you, you, your seat is comfortable. And you know which one you like to sit in in church. You, oh, we got it, baby. I got it saved. There it is. You go get the coffee. I got the seat. I watch you run into the auditorium. Like, get that second row. We're no different than the Israelites if we don't take our gifts and skills and abilities and use them. And tell people about Jesus. You see, but God is patient, isn't he? <laughs> he keeps coming after us, doesn't he? And he keeps sending Jim Brown back after you, and you don't like me, I don't care. <laughs> but listen to me. This text tells me if God continues to see an unwillingness for us to get up and do a dangerous thing and we just sit, it is very dangerous to remain seated in your chair. Some of you are the most brilliant intellectual people in your sphere of influence could reach hundreds of people for Jesus and you just keep honing your craft. It's time to use the craft for Jesus. I heard a story this weekend or last weekend at our fight club kickoff. We saw nine men show up, nine of them trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I heard a story of one of the men. He said, he said, Pastor Jim, afterwards, and I talked to him. He said, come over, come over here, Jim. i got to tell you this story. And so it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Guys are leaving. I said, sure, man, I'll listen. He pulls me in. He says, Pastor Jim, I just got to tell you. He, says, he said, I wasn't going to do Fight Club this chapter. And he said, but there was this little ache inside of me that, thought that I should. But he said, so I told my wife. He said, if so-and-so comes, then I'll come. And he said, I was hedging my bets. He said, because I knew he wasn't coming. I had the excuse, the perfect one. And he said, I knew he wouldn't come. He said, I didn't think about it much, but he, I, he, he, I pacified my wife. You ever done that? I pacified my wife. And he said, so, so I, I, I was good. He said, as we got closer, you know, that little prompting of the spirit would show up. And you think, it ain't happening. It ain't happening. Not happening. He's not coming. So I got a little closer, and, and, and my brother calls me up and says, hey, I'm thinking about doing Fight Club. Would you join me? <laughs> I love it when God just kind of like, <laughs> boo, boo, boo. He <laughs> says, so I was forced to show up and be part of it. But he said, you know what I didn't realize? If I wouldn't have showed up, you see, one of those nine men was my brother that got saved. <laughs> and he started to choke up. He said, I was being selfish. I'm busy. I ran through the list. 
said, I would have missed out on him, my own brother, coming to Christ. You see, sometimes God comes after us and there's a blessing and a promise that's so good. And the Israelites are right there and he's saying, I'm giving you this land. I, 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 I let you cross the Red Sea. I fed you quail and manna. I got this cloud that follows you and this fire at night. And you're like, yeah, it's cool, hallelujah, but I'm not going. See, we need to face our fears. And by the way, we all have them. So in verse 19 to 21, he gives them this, this inspiring speech. And it's like the coach in front of the team. Like, take the lamb. We're going to get a thousand times more than what we thought. And we got leaders. We got coaches. We got line coaches. We got, we got defensive line. We got quarterback coaches. And if you've got any problems, bring them in. We'll figure it out. And they said, we're, we're going to look at the land first. And we're going to scout the team. And verse 19 says, then as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb. We left this place. We've been there too long. We went toward the hill country of the Amorites through all that vast and dreadful wilderness that you had seen. And so we reached Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, Moses said, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is what? What's he say? Giving us. Verse 21. See, the Lord your God is giving you land. Then he says, go up, Moses said, take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be what? Afraid. Do not be what? Have you ever wondered why that appears so often in the Bible? Do not be afraid. Do not be troubled. Do not be scared. Because God knows that we're going to be afraid. And God knows that we're going to be easily discouraged. But he tells them, do not be afraid. And so everyone has fears, even the most courageous person you've ever met. Let me just say that. Every single person has a fear. And if they say there haven't been times in their lives they haven't been afraid, then they are lying to you. The most courageous person you'll ever meet has a, a fear of one sense or another that he or she has to walk through. They're just different. But they don't let them fears keep them paralyzed in their tracks. I have had many fears in my life. I face fear just like you face fear. I've had to talk to myself instead of listen to myself. And the truth is this, that many of us don't struggle with the fear of failure as much as we do of the fear of success. I don't struggle with the fear of failure as much as I do with the fear of success. Now, when I say success, God's success. But I do. I think about that a lot. What if, God, I go out and do this for you, then that means this, God. That means if you've called me to it, then that means i got to raise my game more, God. That means I'm going to have more texts and more emails and more employees and more people and more responsibility and more and more and more and more. God, I like it. Like, God, I love it here. Woo! This is good. Man, we're doing good, God. We're grooving. Like, we're, we're, we're reaching people in our community, and, and God, they're coming to Christ, and people are being fed. We're caring for orphans in our world, and we got, we're sending people to rescue refugees in Iraq, and God, it's good. Let's stay right here, God. This has been so good. Like, we don't need any more. 
the truth is, it's not my responsibility to determine what God wants to do with us. You see, if you try and fail, many people will say this, at least you tried. <laughs> They'll even do videos about you. And you kind of feel good, like, well, I tried. I got my foot wet. <laughs> and then you retreat back to your... And they say, good job, you tried. Well, thanks. And you know what often happens? You just sit here. Because, hey, I tried that once too. And, man, it was hard. But you refuse to get back up. But the fear of success can also do the same thing to you too. I cannot tell you how many times my wife and I, through the years, and even our own family, had to overcome the fear of success. God's success, not Jim's success. See, you find yourselves in uncharted territory and things change. People leave because the church is too big. People who are with you are no longer with you because they don't like it the way it is, which I have no control over. God grows the church. You move from obscurity to where everyone knows your name, where you literally sneak into the hospital for a heart catheterization because you don't want the community to worry. I can't tell you how many times Ann and I said, man, it'd be so good. Let's go back to 64 people where no one knows our name. But that's fear that would make us want to do that. Where you move from obscurity and a lack of privacy where your lifestyle changes, and people wonder why, literally. They wonder, can you believe Pastor Jim drives a 1999 red Corvette? Yes, I do. It's like, if I wasn't a pastor of Grace Community Church, you wouldn't give a rip. You think, man, that's a cool ride. Can I get in there? Oh, he's a pastor. Or because we take a vacation to Cancun. <laughs> Can you believe Pastor Jim and Ann went to Cancun? Let me tell you, we loved every second of it too. <laughs> and you begin to ask this question before you step out. And fear through the years has almost paralyzed us, but we didn't let it. And you begin to ask this question, how will it affect your children? It's already hard enough for them. They already have expectations that just aren't right being placed on them. You see, if Ann and I would have let those fears of success paralyze us and send us to the couch, and here's what I know. Nine men on Friday night wouldn't have found Jesus Christ. You see, God has a promise out there for you. And some of you, get off the couch. Get off the couch. Someone needs Jesus, and he wants to use you to reach them. But fear chains us down to the couch, and it can shape our excuses. I cannot tell you through the years how many times I've heard these excuses when someone comes after you to sign up, to show up, to join in, to go to the marketplace and take Jesus. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. I don't like that. Like, that's just not me. And I want to say, it's not about you. Or, I don't want it to agree with you 
and show you that you are right, so there's no way I'm coming. That's called pride. Or, I tried it once. You know what? It didn't go so well. I went there and no one knew my name. No one talked to me. It's not about you. Or, here's the one I've heard. Oh, wise. If I could have a recorder. Here it is. Well, my wife doesn't want me to be part of that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. She says I'm busy enough. Oh, baloney. What wife doesn't want her husband to grow spiritually? Or, I'm too busy. Well, take one of those 14 years on the couch and get in the game. Or, um, send me a rain check. Next time around, I'll sign up. And you know what happens the next time you ask him? Send me a rain check. <laughs> I quit asking. I quit asking. Guys that do that, I'll let them come to me. I'll go to guys and say, hey, can you do this, that, and that? Hey, next time. Uh, your name's gone, gone. You, you, you follow up with me. It's not my responsibility to babysit whether or not you want to be part of something. Or, I'm not qualified. Hear me out. The God of the universe lives in you. You're qualified. <laughs> or, I will look stupid. I can't tell how many times I've looked stupid. It's not about me. My wife and my kids will vouch for that. <laughs> or I might be called out. What if they ask me a question? What if, what if I have to be put in charge? <laughs> oh, greater is he that lives you than he that lives in the world? Or it's just too hard. I work hard all day. And by the time I get home, I'm wiped out. It's not about you, if God has called you to it, he'll help you get through it. See, that's what's happening here. These Israelites, they're sitting on the couch and falling short of this promise that he has given them. And some of you believe the lie, too, that you're not good enough and that you have done too much wrong. I can't tell you how many times you believe the lie. I'm not smart enough. God could never use me. I'm not a good enough Christian. I don't know enough. I haven't studied enough. I, uh, I'm not saved enough. I've heard that one like, what? I mean, I've heard them all. See, the problem is this. Way too many Christians live like they're on parole with God. And afraid to make another mistake, as if God will incarcerate, incarcerate them forever. Yet we have been pardoned, forgiven as far as the east is from the west, and that charge has been dismissed and completely pardoned by God, and he chooses not to remember it any longer. There is freedom and forgiveness, not chains. His grace sets us free. Go and thrive in that freedom instead of living in fear of messing up again. Come on, come on. Christians, come on. Let's, let's quit believing the lies of the enemy. There's not a triple penalty from God that says the third time you're locked up forever. You know what he does? If it's true confession and repentance, I forgive you, my child. I forgive you, my son. I took that through the cross, and the blood of Jesus Christ covers you. Listen, you are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. Get back in the game. Get off the couch. Go tell someone about Jesus Christ. 
So he's telling them there's this promise that's there. And so as any good leader would do, he says, now listen, we need to, we need to look at our opponent. We need to take a look. And they're bigger. They're stronger. <laughs> we heard that, didn't we? And we're going to see that they're bigger and they look stronger. But he said, you got they, what they don't have, they don't know what's in your heart. And what's in our heart and we know Christ is Jesus. <laughs> and they don't know who's going with you. And look what happens in verse 27. It says this in verse 27. He encourages them. Or go to verse 26 first. Verse 26 says this. But you're unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us in the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear, they say. The people are stronger. They are taller than we. The cities are large. The walls with walls to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. You know the Anakites? They were nine-foot giants. And so they're blowing up with fear, fear. They're too big. And all the while God said, hey, 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 Moses, come back, come, come, come back. God said he has already gone before you. He's already promised you the land, and you will win. See, we've got to talk to ourselves instead of listen to ourselves. Verse 29, then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord, your God, who is going before you, will fight for you as you did, as he did in Egypt before your very eyes. And in the wilderness... There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son. He's reminding them of all that he's done. Verse 32. In spite of this, you do not trust in the Lord your God. Who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search our places. Out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. And all the while, God had promised, and all the while, they had seen incredible miracles. And God was willing to do for them again to get them to the promised land. But in their minds, they were trembling in fear. And they, even though they could testify to the miracles of God's goodness. And the same is true for us. Many of us have retreated to the couch, and it's been a slow fade, and are unwilling to do it again because it's too hard to work out. It's too hard to give my time. It's too hard to walk across the street. It's too hard to be rejected by, and telling people about Jesus. It's too hard to quit doing drugs. It's too hard to go to a Bible study. It's too hard to show up alone. It's too hard to sign up for Flourish. It's too hard to be part of Fight Club. It'll kill me. And so for seasons and blocks of time, we just check out. And here's what we do. Whew. I'm taking this off. This, I'm taking this six months off. Come back in six months and talk to me, Pastor Jim. The last time I checked, retirement wasn't part of the Christian journey. <laughs> and he says, in spite of all this, verse 32, in spite of all this, you still did not trust in the Lord, your God. When I read that this week, it leveled me. Jesus still says this today, in light of all I've done for you, you still won't do hard things. You would rather waste your life sitting on the couch complaining and griping about how hard it is to change. 
But what I do know is this. Doing hard things leads to life. Watch what happens next. Verse 34. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry. and Solemnly swore, no one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your ancestors. Except Caleb. He will see to it. And I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on. Because he followed the Lord how? What's it say? Wholeheartedly. Verse 37. Because of you, the Lord became angry with me as your leader, basically. And also said, you shall not enter it either. Moses himself didn't see the promised land because he had a bunch of followers or a bunch of cowards. But your assistant, Joshua... Son of none will enter it. Encourage him because he will lead Israel to inherit it. And the little ones that you said would be taken captive, your children who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them and they will take possession of it. But as for you, turn around and set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. In other words, if you were unwilling to... That promise I had for you, it's not yours anymore. Just turn around, waste your life, get back on the couch, watch some more Netflix. Verse 41. But then you replied, Oh, Lord, we have sinned against the Lord. We'll go up and fight. As the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons. Thinking, look what it says, thinking it easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me, Moses, tell them, do not go up and fight. Because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. So I told you, Moses said, but you would not what? What's it say? Listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command, and in your arrogance, you marched up into the hill country. And the Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. So you came back, and you wept for the Lord. But he paid no what to you? Attention to you and to your weeping. And he even turned a deaf ear to you. And so you stayed in Kadesh many days. All the time you spent there. You see, there comes a point where God, he keeps coming back. He keeps coming back. Sign up. Be part. Jump in. Use your business to point people to Jesus. Reach children. Reach adults. Reach youth. Be healthy so that you can serve me. Don't be healthy so that you can put up all these great accolades yourself. Make sure why you're doing what you're doing is for me. Because if you're not doing it for me, then you're not chasing the promise I have for you. And if there comes a point you're not willing, then just turn your back. Go back to the desert. And you will never see the promise I have in store for you. I wonder. As I look across this room. And as I speak to those that are watching live stream. And for those of you here in the South Auditorium that are watching this simulcast. How many deaf ears are in this room? You'll come back. (laughs) I got the seat. Baby, get the coffee. 
and you'll run to your seat. You'll stand at the door, second service, and you bolt through. You'll get your seat, and you'll come back next week. And you'll come back the next week. And you'll come back the next week. And you'll come back the next week, and the next week, and the next week. And God has given you all these skills and talents and abilities to use them in the marketplace and to use them in the local church, yet you refuse to sign up and you are unwilling to chase the promise and the plan that God has for you. And one day it says, you will weep to the Lord God. Why am I here? And he will turn a deaf ear to you. What's your why? Oh, I want to be healthy (laughs) so I can, what? Oh, even this week, my stepfather was diagnosed with lymphoma. He's got cancer all through his stomach and intestines. He's 88 years old, loving the pieces. He's been a fighter and a battler ever since I can remember. I mean, he took me in when I was four years old, and he became my dad. He married my mom with four kids. I mean, what man would be willing to do that? (laughs) My dad did. So I asked this question, like, God, why do I want him to be healed? Just so he can, like, live a couple more years and eat honey buns in the couch? God, I want him healed. And if you heal him, I want him so that he can tell other people about Jesus Christ. Otherwise, take him home. I know this to be true. Where do you need to sign up? Where do you need to show up again? So that someone else can find Jesus. Lord, it's a hard message and... I probably won't get any hearts in my, in my text messages this week. But I don't care. Because <laughs> it's not about me. It's all about you, Jesus. But what I do know is, I know how I want to be remembered. And I know how I want the people of Grace Community to be remembered. Warriors. Courageous. Where the enemy falls because they walk in your power and not in their own power. Where lives are saved and marriages are transformed. And men and women in the marketplace are using their skills, abilities, wealth, and income to rescue a world that needs Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would do that. And I pray there would be an awakening amongst our people today. I pray that they would set aside all these excuses. They're so tightly knit and they just sound so good. And I pray, God... That they won't hedge their bets any longer. That they won't have to sign up. And I pray, God, that they'll be remembered as the group who did whatever it took to see giants fall. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.